Turn your Bibles to John. We have been in the book of John for a few weeks, and uh, we're going to continue on. So turn in, in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 22 to 36 together. This is God's holy, inspired word for us today. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray that God would minister to us today. Father, thank you for these words that your apostle recorded for us, for our good, that we might understand who we are. We might understand who you are. We might understand who Jesus is and that we might have joy. God, I pray that today these words would be a source of joy, your spirit empowered joy to all who are sitting and hearing this today and maybe all who are watching this on live stream. God, I pray that you would, you would minister your new joy as we discover who we are, who you are, and who Jesus is in your work. God, I pray that you would enable us to understand and hear your word. God, I pray that you would enable us to, to set aside all distractions, Lord, from the cicadas to the traffic and everything else, Lord, and that we'd be able to, to focus on you. Would you empower us by your spirit? Would you empower me by your spirit? Lord, we need you and we ask for you to come. And we thank you, God, that you are, are willing and desirous of meeting us today. So, Lord, we, we come anticipating you answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what if you thought about this for a second? What, what is it that robs you of joy? Think, think about it. What is it that on, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, what is it that robs you of joy? Are there, are there things in your life? Are there difficulties in your life? 
What is it that robs you of joy? Or, or maybe what do you do when your agenda doesn't work out the way you think it should? Anybody, anybody here ever experienced that where your agenda does not work out the way you think it should? Anybody, raise your hand. If, you, if your agenda does not work out the way you think it should sometimes, has it ever happened to you? So what do you do? How do you experience joy when, when things don't work out the way you think that they should? How did John have joy? when his ministry was declining. Because as we look at this passage, this is really the last time we see John the Baptist in in any kind of ministry. And his his ministry is waning. It's decreasing. It's it's declining. And his disciples are really bothered by that. You ever bothered when you are decreasing? You ever bothered when it seems like your influence is not recognized when people aren't being drawn to you? In the midst of all these things, John is rejoicing. And I think we can see from this passage, not only how John's rejoicing, but how we can rejoice when things don't go our way, when when we're not increasing, but when we might be decreasing according to God's plan. How can we rejoice? This passage is going to reveal the answer to us. And and I believe that that we're going to see that we rejoice as a result of of seeing not only um, who we are, but who God is and who Jesus is. You see, we can rejoice. We can rejoice when things don't go our way if we understand ourselves, God and Jesus, rightly. And that's that's what John did. John, John understood who he was rightly. He understood who God was rightly. He understood who Jesus is rightly. And in the midst of things not going his way, John was able to rejoice. So far, if you've been following along with us in, in the book of John, We've seen that Jesus has turned water into wine, showing that he's replaced the the waters of purification of the old covenant, the old way of being acceptable to God with with his new covenant, his new wine. We've seen him going into the temple and cleansing the temple, kicking out the money changers from the temple and and seeing that he replaces the temple. And we saw him talking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And we saw it when he spoke to him about the Mosaic covenant, how Jesus replaces even Moses's covenant and how Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. People looked at it in faith. Now Jesus must be lifted up and we look to him in faith. And so systematically, John the Apostle has been showing us that Jesus replaces all the things of the Old Testament because he's far better. And in this, we'll see as well that, that Jesus, he is actually replacing purification too. When they, they're having a dispute about purification and and what we see here is that Jesus replaces the old way of being pure, and now he's, he's replacing that with his new way of life. John has already testified about who Jesus is. In the beginning of the book of John, he's, he's talked about how Jesus is the Lamb of God. He, he told his disciples, look, behold, there's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. But for some reason, his disciples, they either didn't believe him or they didn't hear him. Because you have to wonder, if you ever thought about this or not, but you have to wonder, why in the world were John's disciples still following him? Right? Because John, he's already said that Jesus is the Christ, that that Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the Son of God, that he's the Lamb of God. And And if you're hearing John, if you're really believing John, that John's testifying to him that the Spirit descends on him, that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit, then why in the world are they still following him? I think it's because they didn't really understand. 
They didn't understand, and that, that lack of understanding led to all kinds of problems. And so there, there's this Jew, he comes up to them, and now and he says a Jew, they're, they're all Jews, but uh, a Jew meaning that they weren't following either John or Jesus, but they were following the Jewish ways, the Jewish ways of purification. So they come up to John's disciples, and they have a question about purification, because baptism was a way of, of going through these rituals of purification. So they asked John a question about purification, his, his disciples a question. His disciples are clearly bothered, and, and so they come up to John. But instead of asking about purification, what they're really bothered with is that Jesus seems to be greater than John. And, and so they come up to him. Look at what it says in verse 26. It says, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, and, and note, notice the pronouns here, he who is with you. So, so Rabbi, you, you validated this guy. He was with you across the Jordan. You bore witness to him, and look, he's baptizing. How dare he be baptizing? You kind of get that tone from them as they're coming up to John, and they're saying, Rabbi, look, he who you bore witness to, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now, that was a bit of an exaggeration, but clearly they're miffed. Clearly they're, they're bothered that, that Jesus is taking away from their master, their rabbi, their ministry, and, and by association, really, their influence, their power. They were concerned that Jesus was getting all attention. There seems to be some jealousy. There seems to be complaint. In, in other words, you know, how, how dare the one who was with you, who you endorse, break away from you and take people away from your ministry? They clearly didn't understand who John was, who they were, who Jesus was. They fell into the trap of, of competing with Jesus for the supremacy, and, and it's upsetting to them. You know, I wonder how often we get things backwards like they did. I wonder how often we get things backwards and we fight with Jesus as if he's an opponent with us for supremacy. As if, as if Jesus is going to somehow detract. Attention to Jesus might somehow make us less. You know, sometimes we don't like it when we're not recognized, when the people we've hitched our wagons to seem to be declining. Sometimes... We like to have influence and power by who we're associated with, what group we're a part of, and we don't like seeing those things wane. And sometimes we put those things in our power, our influence, our name ahead of Jesus' name, which is really what these disciples were doing. And, and they fell into the trap of thinking they were in competition with Jesus somehow as if he was thwarting their plans. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like Jesus is doing things that are thwarting my plans? He's doing things that, that make me less, and I don't like that. I think it's a normal human feeling. They were upset, and the problem was they didn't see clearly, or at least they didn't listen. And it, it affected them. They didn't understand their role, John's role. They didn't see who God is. They didn't see Jesus. And yet, so John, he, he's not bothered. He, he very gently and yet directly corrects them and helps them understand. He demonstrates that, that he understands himself. He understands who God is. He understands who Jesus is. And it gives John joy. Now imagine that, that you've been called as a prophet of God and, and you've been given this great ministry and your ministry is excelling. And, but now, the one you're pointing the way to, his ministry is increasing and you're decreasing. How would you respond? Would you have great joy? Saying, yeah, I love that the attention is off me. I, I love that, that someone else's ministry is excelling. I love that Someone else is being exalted and I'm being decreased. 
John, in the midst of this, has joy, he says. And we can see from his response that, that we can rejoice when things don't go our way as long as we understand who we are, who God is, and who Jesus is rightly. John says he's overjoyed in, in, in what he tells them. We can learn some things from his response. And, and John the Apostle here, he's included this, this snippet, this interaction for a reason. He didn't include everything that Jesus did. He didn't include everything that Jesus said in his gospel. In fact, he says that, that he, he didn't record so much that if all the, all, all the libraries in the world would be able to contain the books that could be written about what Jesus did. So why does he include this? Well, I think he includes this because he wants us to understand who we are. He wants us to understand who God is. He wants us to understand who Jesus is rightly so that we can have joy in him. First thing we can see in verse 27 there is, is, that, is that we can understand who we are biblically. We need to understand who we are biblically. If you're taking notes, that can be point one for you. We need to understand who we are biblically. Look down at verse 27. He says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. What's he saying here? He's saying that, that everything we have comes from God. And we can't receive anything unless it is from God. Everything that we have is from God. A person can't even receive one thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. The reason Jesus' ministry is successful, that God has given him success. The reason that John's saying that my ministry is diminishing is that it too has been given him from heaven. John didn't wish he was somebody else. He understood that everything he had was given to him from God. That includes everything good and all the limitations he had as well. Sometimes I think we need to get that, right? If we're going to have joy in, in God, we need to understand that, that everything we have has been given to us by God. And that includes everything other, every, everyone else has as well. You know, not about you, but sometimes I'm prone to, to be envious of other people's gifts. Any of you ever prone to be envious of people's gifts, talents, abilities? You know, you, you can be envious of all kinds of things. You can be envious of somebody's speaking skills. You can be envious of somebody's intelligence, of somebody's athleticism. You can be envious of, you know, the fact that somebody's popular. You can be envious of the fact that people look nicer than you. Um, you can be envious of people's bodies. You can be envious of all kinds of things. And, and, and when, you, when we do those things, when we're envious like that, what we realize is that we don't understand that everything that people have has been given to them from God. Everything that people have, all that we have comes from God. A person can't receive anything unless it's given to them from heaven. All the limitations we have and all the gifts that we have have been given from God for our good. And God has given you specifically all the gifts that you need to be the person that God's called you to be. And he's given other people other gifts. And we get into trouble, though, when we start to envy what other people have. John's disciples were getting into some trouble, and so John says, a person can't receive even one thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. He wasn't envious because he understood that all things we have are from God. He was content because he realized that, that God had, had given him gifts, and he gifted Jesus in a greater way, and God had divinely limited John. That, that frees us up to see that, too, that, that God actually divinely gives each person what they have. And we can trust him with what he's given to us. That he's he also given us limits as well, and we can trust him with all of our limits. You know, people might have different gifts than you. They might be more gifted in some ways than you. But God has no less affection for you. 
And, and God is the one who gives gifts from heaven. You know, we can, we can often seek to be impressive by proxy like John's disciples. They were, they were a little bothered probably because Jesus was increasing, John was decreasing, and so they were probably bothered by the fact that, hey, if John's decreasing, then our reputation is decreasing. This, this movement we're a part of is not so hip and cool anymore. It's not so popular. People don't like us so much, and so they're probably concerned their power, their influence would wane as John's did. You know, I wonder how often we, we can seek the same kind of thing. We can want to be impressive because of who we know, who we hang out with, what our, our job is, what our titles are. Instead of saying, you know what, all of those things are given by God as gifts, and they're nothing to be impressed with. If everything's a gift from God, then, then, then what do we have that we didn't, that hasn't been given to us? You know, sometimes we can seek to have our identity propped up by being part of something happening or successful recognition or being known. John wasn't upset by not having recognition. He had, he had joy. He was content because he, he knew that all we have comes from God. And not only that, he knew that God had given him to be a witness. He, he was content in his identity and who he was. He says, you know, you, you know that, that I've, I've been a witness about Jesus this whole time, and, and you yourself are witnesses. So I'm not just a witness, but you're witnesses, and you bear witness to my testimony. Um, that, that's what our role is. And John had contentment and joy because he understood that we are witnesses. Look, look at verse 28. It says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I sent before him. Not only is John a witness and and, and those who are following him are witnesses as well. But, but John's been sent. He's been a sent one. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're one of his disciples, then your identity is a witness as well. You're called to bear witness. In Luke, in Luke 24, 46, it says, Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and die on the third, and be raised on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and then he tells his disciples something. He says, you are witnesses. You are witnesses. John understood his role and his understanding of who he was. That actually brought him contentment and joy because if he knew that if he could witness to Jesus, he was actually carrying out what God had called him to do. You might have a different role than someone else around you. But do you know that you are equally witnesses? You can be equally a witness in whatever your job is, whatever your role is, whatever your season of life is, whatever your age is, wherever you are, whatever it looks like, whatever your gifts are, you can equally be a witness for Jesus, just like John. And John understood not only was a witness, but he'd been sent. He says, I've been sent ahead of him to prepare the way. He knew that his, his entire purpose in life was to be a witness who was sent to tell of Jesus. And that's what gave John joy. Do you know that you have the same calling? If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you too are a witness, and you too have been sent. Jesus just told us in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There, Go, therefore. You've been sent. We're witnesses, and we've been sent. And not only that, not only all we have comes from God, we need to understand that and, and that we are witnesses and we've been sent. We also need to see that from this passage that we're a friend of the bridegroom and we're the bride. 
as well. I, I, um, I've had a privilege of being in a few different weddings over the years, not just officiating, but being in weddings. And, and there's something joyful about being a part of the wedding party. There's something joyful about that celebration, uh, about pointing to somebody else, about rejoicing in someone else's joy. You know, if you've ever gotten to be a best man or a maid of honor, there's something joyful about making their day great, about saying, you know what, I want them to have joy. I want to celebrate with them. And if you're really a friend, if you really are a best friend, if you're a friend of the bride or friend of the groom, you really do want to see them do well. And so John here, he gives us this illustration, and he talks about being a friend of the bridegroom. That it's like John is, is standing up in front, and he's, he's the best man. And John's saying, that's great. I'm so glad. Because the fact that Jesus is baptizing and everybody's coming to him, that means that he is the bridegroom, and that the bride is being brought to him. So isn't this cool? I get to be a part of this wedding ceremony. I get to be a part of this celebration. I get to be a part of, of making their day special and rejoicing in that. He gives this, this wonderful analogy. He says, the one who has the bride is, is the bridegroom. And it's not a, that's not a new analogy, but John would have been pointing back to several different scriptures in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, when he says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he's called. Hosea 2.19, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know. That's an intimate knowing. You shall know the Lord. And John's saying, listen, Israel's the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. So what this means is that the marriage is beginning. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I just get to be a part of that. You see, because John, in a, in a Jewish wedding, the, the best man or, or the friend of the bridegroom, he was the one who often would arrange things. He would, he would prepare the details of that day, and he would be the one to, to bring the bride to the bridegroom. And John's like, this is my whole purpose. Of course I'm not upset that I'm diminishing, because I get to be a part of pointing people to Jesus that they get to discover who he is. Do you, do you know that, that you get to do that as well? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a unique role you get to introduce people to Jesus. You get to introduce people to the one in whom all of their satisfaction and hope and joy is found. You get to introduce people to the one who meets their every need, who cares for them, who provides for them like a groom provides for his bride. You get to be a part of that. If you understand that, that brings you joy. But not only that, think about that as well. John's not just a friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him and rejoices, he says. Think about what else that means. Anybody who comes to Jesus is the bride. He says all those who have been given to the bridegroom are the bride. And so if, if you are following Jesus, if, if you have, have believed and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then, then not only has, have all of your sins been forgiven, not only has God's wrath been removed, but, but you are now the bride. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, what that imagery means. You know, uh, when you got married, I'm sure you were excited. 
when you got married, you're probably a little giddy. You might not even remember it because it's all just a blur. My wedding day, I can barely remember anything. I remember a few snippets here and there. But what I do remember is the excitement and the anticipation of, of seeing my wife come down the aisle and knowing that I'm going to be married in just a few minutes. And, and I'm, I'm going to share this close communion that's going to last the rest of my life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've come to him, if you've repented and believed, that's what baptism is short for, if you've been baptized, if you've repented and believed, you've placed your trust in Jesus, then not only do you get to be a friend of the bridegroom introducing others to him, you get to be the bride. Now, it might be weird if you're a guy to be thinking that way, but, but you get to be married to Jesus in, a, in an intimate way. You get to be one with him, never to be taken apart, never, never to be divorced. You get to be with him in a way that is that fulfills all of your greatest longings. One who will be with you forever, forever caring for you. The one, the, the creator of the universe caring for you as his bride. He has no limitations. He has no lack, no, no inability. He has no sin as well. So wouldn't that be great in marriage, right? Maybe you ever wish that you didn't have sin in your own marriage? In Christ, we have a sinless one who loves us perfectly as the bride. And that gave John joy. That, that's meant to give us joy. But not only that, understanding who we are gives us joy when things don't go our way. We need to understand who God is biblically. When, when John said earlier that, that everything one has is given from heaven, what, that was when they said from heaven, they didn't like to say the name of God out loud. They thought that was disrespectful. And so they say, everything has been given from heaven. What he's saying is everything has been given to us from God. There is a truth that's in that statement that's actually meant to give us joy, that's meant to give us contentment and hope. And the truth is this, is that, that God is over all things. That God is the one who gives all men all things. And we can, we can rest in the fact that that God is sovereign completely over everything. He says, you know, everybody, everything that somebody has, it comes from God. What he's saying is that God is sovereign over all people in every way. He's in complete control. He's absolutely sovereign. And then John says, he must increase. I must decrease. That was, that was a divine imperative there. It, it must be that way. John had joy in seeing God use him to bring about God's plans. And when we understand that we're a part of God's plan, we can have joy in faithfully serving him however he wants us. Is this causing a lot of blown back? Is it natural wonder? Is that, is that better? There we go. Excellent. Is that popping a little less out there? That's great. Thank you. Not only is God completely in control and absolutely sovereign, that gives us joy, but, but God's will is to elevate Jesus. His entire design is to lift Jesus up and to draw all people to him, and that is where our joy is found. And we want to understand that, that, that actually in lifting up Jesus, not only is our joy found in lifting up Jesus and looking at him, but that everyone's joy is found in lifting up Jesus. Then we have to understand that that is a source of joy. It says that God gives the Spirit without measure to Jesus as well. It says, for he whom God has sent, talking about Jesus, utters the words of God, for he, God, gives the Spirit without measure. 
God has given the Spirit without measure to His Son. Why is that important for us to know? It's important for us to know that, that God's given the Spirit without measure because then that means that Jesus has the Spirit without measure. And if you are in Christ, then He's able to give you the Spirit in every way. And then look at the verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. I want you to think about that. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. I think I might have skipped something here. Sorry about that. <laughs> In the Gospel later, John's going to record some astounding words of Jesus as he prayed for his disciples, and he says in John 17, he says, I don't ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world might know that you sent me and loved them, listen to that, love them even as you loved me. Why is it important for us to see that the Father loves the Son? Well, because if the Father loves the Son and we're in the Son, then the Father loves us like the Son. If you understand not only who you are, but if you understand who God is, the fact that God loves the Son perfectly, and that because God loves the Son perfectly, He loves you perfectly, that's going to give you joy. Now, there's something here that's not joyful. Look down in, at the end. I think it's in verse 36. The end of verse 36. This is the downer in the passage, and it's meant to be. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We, we also need to understand, if we're to later have joy, that that God's wrath would be upon us apart from believing in Jesus. Apart from trusting in Jesus, obeying the Son, apart from believing in Him, the wrath of God remains on us. Now, the wrath of God is not that God has a bad attitude. It's that God is he has settled opposition to sin. His settled, op his settled opposition to injustice. His settled opposition to evil. And, and for us, we need to know that if, if, if we don't believe in Jesus, we don't understand who we are, who God is, that God has wrath against all sin, then we're not going to experience the joy of knowing him. Here's what we need to understand, though. We can have joy if we understand who Jesus is biblically. We need to understand who Jesus is biblically. John says he's the Christ. What does that mean? It means he's the anointed one, the, the chosen one of God to redeem all of mankind from our sins. He, he's the Lamb of God. He's the one who removes the sins of the world. For all those who come to him, he removes their sins. He takes away the wrath of God. It's completely removed as we trust in him. If you understand who you are, you understand who God is, that his wrath remains. But the fact that if you trust in Jesus, no wrath remains. Jesus is the bridegroom who seeks out his bride. All who come to him are beloved by him as a bride is loved by her groom. And John says, this groom is even better. Look down at verse 31. 
This groom is even better than any other groom. Here's why. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He's better than any groom. You know, maybe maybe you're not married, or maybe you have a troubled marriage, and, and you're hoping that that marriage will be fixed, and that's what will make you joyful. Or maybe you're you're hoping to get married someday, and that's what will, you'll find fulfillment in. Or, or maybe you're hoping for other things. And, and, and John tells us good news, says, the groom that we have, and by the way, ultimately, none of us will be married who are trusting in, in Christ. None of us will be married to the, the spouse we have now. But we will all one day be married forever to Jesus. And he's greater. It says, he who comes from above is above all. He's above all. Look, look at that in verse 31. He repeats that twice. He says, he who comes from above is above all. And at the end of verse 31, he who comes from heaven is above all. What does he want us to get here? He wants us to see that Jesus is greater than all. John had joy because he saw that Jesus is above all. Do you see in your own life that Jesus is above all? Do you take joy in knowing that Jesus, your groom, he's above all and he loves you completely? Says he's up the earth, belongs to the earth, speaks in an earthly way. That's he's speaking of himself there, John is. But he who comes from heaven is above all. I like the way that Leon Morris puts it. He says, the repeated affirmation that Christ is above all is impressive. He is absolutely preeminent. That's meant to give us joy. We can trust him in all circumstances because we have a bridegroom who's above all, who loves us completely. It says he's absolutely preeminent. The words refer to all things and all people. You can have joy like John had joy and rejoiced, knowing that if Jesus is our bridegroom, he's above all. There's nothing he is not able to do. There's nothing outside of his control. There's no foe too large. There's, there's no problem too big. No issue that you face is too hard for your groom. He is above all. No matter what you're facing, no matter what it looks like, John knew this, that he who comes from above, he's above all. And so I've rejoiced. My joy is made complete. Not only that, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Look at verse 32. It says, he bears witness to what he's seen and heard. No one receives his testimony. But look, he says, he bears witness to what he's seen and heard. Think about that. Think about what John's already told us, what John the Apostle has told us about Jesus already. He's already told us that Jesus was before the beginning, right? So what has Jesus seen? Everything. What does Jesus know? Everything. It says he bears witness to what he's seen and heard. What has Jesus seen? What has Jesus heard? Everything. There's no limit to his knowledge. And yet he bears witness to all that he's seen and heard, and he tells us the truth for our good. And then he says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The timeless one for all eternity who knows all things, has seen all things, he's heard all things. Jesus bears witness to the truth. We can trust in him. And we can, we can also trust the fact that, that because the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, he's able to give all things into to our hands that we need. Now, that doesn't mean that we're able to like name and claim and, and get whatever we want. It's not what it's saying. But, 
What he's saying is that Jesus has all things and he loves you completely, so he's able to do whatever it is you need. And then the greatest promise of all that we need to get, the very last thing we need to understand about Jesus, look in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You know, sometimes I think that we, we think about that as a far-off thing. We think about that as a, we're not really impressed. But, but think about how God created man. He created man to be eternally in life with him, to, to enjoy the very life of God, the eternal life of God. It's, it's, eternal life is not just the, the, the duration of life, but it's the quality of life. It's, it's the eternal life of God that he invites us into. And if you believed in the Son, here's the good news. Here's cause for joy. Understanding, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what difficulties you face, no matter what challenges you face, we have eternal life in him. We have a, a bridegroom who loves us, who holds all things, who's above all things. He's given us a mission and a purpose. And, and, and whatever job might go away, whatever role might go away, what, whatever you have, whatever place you have, whatever, however your name might decrease, you can know that you can be a faithful witness. You can introduce other people to the bridegroom, and then you can have the joy of knowing the bride yourself. You can have the joy of eternal life in him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He's the Lamb of God. He purifies us. See, John's answering their question that they, they should have asked. They should have been asking, why is, they had this question from this Jew about purification at the very beginning. And they go and they're, they're bothered by the fact that Jesus is lifted up and John's decreasing. What's this competition thing? And what they should have been asking is, why is Jesus baptizing? And really, John's answering that question right here. He's, he's saying Jesus is the one baptizing because he's above all. He's the one who truly gives life. If, if you've been, if you've trusted in him, if you've repented and believed and been baptized in him, he is the one who gives life. He is the one who truly purifies. He is the one who truly sanctifies us from all of our sins. We've been completely justified. He is the one in whom all things have been given into his hands that we can trust in him for everything that we have. You believe in Jesus, the Son of God, you have eternal life. What great cause that is for rejoicing. Even when things don't go our way. We're going to ask the band to come up. And we'll close the song. I think, right? Are you guys ready to close the song? Excellent. And then let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can rest in knowing who we are in you. We can rest in knowing, God, that you are our great and sovereign creator. You're above all things. Thank you that we can have joy in knowing who we are in you and, and that you've called us to be witnesses and you've called us to introduce people to the bridegroom and that you've made us your bride, that we can have joy in knowing that you are over all things. Jesus, we can have joy in knowing we have eternal life in you and that we're completely beloved in you. God, I pray that when we are challenged with us diminishing, when we're challenged with 
jealousy of what other people have. Lord, I pray that we would find joy and contentment in who you've made us to be, who you are, and Jesus being found in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.